Podcast. I'm Anthony Irwin. I'm joined by Pete Zayas. Uh, Pete, I kind of sort of wish we would have recorded after the game yesterday, just because it was it was just full effort mode. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> that, that game was. It was like the Monstars versus the Toon Toon Squad, except MJ was on the bench. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jim Boylan was angry at MJ for for not running hard in the suicide and <laughs> <That's> right. benched <laughs> him right, yeah. left him right there. Bill Murray, you're in. You bring grit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was tough to watch. All that said, like I saw a lot of, you know, Mark Stein, who I really like, by the way, but mm-hmm. he he sent out a tweet like, "There's a feeling of of exasperation right now watching the the Warriors or something like that," you know. And it's just like, wait, they played the Clippers, who aren't world beaters in and of themselves. And they've been playing very poorly recently, the Clippers have. Yeah, and they don't have Lou Williams, who is maybe their most important player. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then they play the Lakers, who are missing their entire creative group, (laughs) you know. And, like, I I, I guess I'm kind of, like, wondering, the only way I think you jump to that conclusion watching those two games of the Warriors is if that's just how you felt heading into it. Right. And and that very, may very well where we end up, you know, and looking at them and be like, Oh, you know, what's the point? It's just, those two games were not the evidence for yeah, that. Like yeah. the Lakers have been getting shellacked, you know, since Lonzo went down, you know, mm-hmm. immediately after that. And I, I tweeted last night that, you know, through three quarters, cause the fourth quarter of last night's game was garbage time. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, they were, outscored by like 49 points in 62 minutes, you know, like, so yeah, that wasn't the game, nor was the Clippers game to be like, Oh God, the Warriors just, you know, are in a class by themselves, even though that may very well end up being the case. Just those two games don't prove it. I, uh, I want to find something that I love half as much as Lance Stevenson loves garbage time. my day has come (laughs) like like, he walks into like garbage time minutes the way i walk into las vegas buffets like it's just this is it (laughs) this is this is my heaven this is my good place this is this is what i was put on this earth to do he was born ready for garbage time would you would you cut lance for mellow no no, actually, you know what? Let's talk about Melo. Well, we okay. we'll, we have the last few minutes of this of this segment, and then we'll get into the Rondo and and the playoffs c- concerns and, and trade deadline stuff. That'll be moving forward here. But but like Harrison and I talked about this yesterday, and and it's something that I wrote about yesterday as well. But it was just like if you're a team thinking about potentially signing somebody, and the thing that you float out there about this player that you're reportedly thinking about signing or acquiring in some way, shape or form is that you're concerned about his conditioning and overall state of his game. Right. Like what else is there to be? The the only reason we're talking about is Carmelo Anthony's a big name. He's a perennial all-star, you know, in the past. And Mm -hmm. the only reason it's the Lakers are very obviously not interested. Uh, If they were, they've had several opportunities to go after him, even with him on the market. Like who are they going to cut? 
for him, right? Yeah. You know, it, it, it's it's a conversation that's mostly media driven because Carmelo Anthony to the Lakers is going to get you clicks, mm-hmm. and it's really not that much more complicated than that. Now, if the Lakers were to make a, a two for one trade or something that freed up a roster spot, you know, a move around the deadline, then do they bring him in as the 15th guy? Yeah, I could see that, but they're not going to go out of their way to release any of these guys for him. If you're not willing to release Lance Stevenson for a player, if you are not willing to release Lance Stevenson <laughs> yeah, for a right. player, like more than so than Lakers, if Anthony <laughs> Irwin is not ready to kick Lance out the door for a guy, then that kind of tells you what you need to know. The the concern here is that we know Carmelo Anthony is not going to be willing to take on whatever role it is that that the Lakers need him to take on, right? Like for every for all of my frustrations about Lance Stevenson, uh the one thing I cannot say about him is that he hasn't been professional for the Lakers. Mm-hmm. He hasn't he hasn't he hasn't complained about minutes. He hasn't complained about inconsistent role. Just give mm-hmm. him his ten to fifteen garbage time minutes a month, and the dude is <laughs> the dude is happy. Um, it, that's not that's we know that's not going to be the case with Carmelo. We know it. I it, it's not even a question of if it's a it's a question of when he would he would bitch about minutes. And to me, he's not even the type of player that the Lakers need right now, especially with the injuries and all that. Like they even one thing we haven't talked enough about is Lakers don't really have guards that can get their own shot. And that's really weird. You got Lonzo, Rondo, Josh Hart and KCP, right? Yeah. Lance is probably the Lakers' best shot creator that's a guardish type of guy, depending on how you c- consider him, right? And and that's really weird mm-hmm. to have a team with no guards that can do that. And so if the Lakers are going to go after somebody or, you know, pursue someone in trade, to me, that's the type of player that they need to fill out this roster, especially with Lonzo going down. You're not going to find a guy who like approximates what Lonzo does, but you can find a guy who's valuable in other areas. And I'd love to have a guy who can score out of a pick and roll and and pass as well. It doesn't have to be great at it, but like Trey Burke level type of guy, you know, I'd I'd be totally down with that. Yeah. Of the banana boat guys, Mello is the least valuable by a long shot. Right, because sure. that's you mentioned that the only reason we're talking about this right now is because Carmelo is is a big name. Actually, I would I would probably say the biggest reason we're talking about this right now is because LeBron LeBron yeah, keeps bringing it up, <laughs> and 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 of the guys who LeBron would keep bringing up in the way that he does Carmelo, if I, Chris Bosh doesn't qualify because he's essentially retired, mm-hmm. uh, but. Chris Paul, I if if he was available, like, yeah. yeah, I'd be all right with adding Chris Paul. Even Dwayne Wade, I'd be okay with adding Dwayne Wade over over Carmelo Anthony. But An- sure. I just Anthony at this stage of his career is I don't think he's capable of of fulfilling any of the things that the Lakers need from from an addition they make at this stage of the season. And I also don't. I also don't think he's going to be willing to mentally to, to 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 play the role that the Lakers, the only role that the Lakers could be able to provide him. Right. I and I, I want to clip all of that with you saying Anthony can't provide what the <laughs> Lakers need, and to save that as like a clip, you know, and take it out of context for future reference. It so. would be my ringtone when I called my dad. Yes. Anthony can't. <laughs> Anthony can't provide. Um, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I, the the whole thing. I, it's it's hard for me to get, and and it's hard for me to to even take it remotely seriously because it's so blatantly a a a reach for clicks. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's, I it's, mean, 
it's it doesn't. I'm sorry. Make any I brought, sense. I'm sorry. I even brought it up. I was just curious, knowing your feelings on Lance Stevenson, kind of where the line <laughs> is between kind of give you a Sophie's choice, but in the opposite direction of you know, yeah. Mello or, or Lance. He's he's you know he's the only person who I would maybe consider waving for for Anthony. If you go upwards in the in the roster, I wouldn't be willing to wave Beasley for him. You obviously aren't going to wave Bonka or Wagner in in incomplete rookie season. For him, yeah. you can't. You you now cannot wave Ivica Zubac, who is probably playing the best of any of the Lakers centers right now. Right. So, like, what 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 options do the Lakers have? You know? Yeah. No, there there really isn't a guy that they'd be willing to do that for. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a quick second here, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Rajon Rondo coming back and what that what, what that might look like for the Lakers, what it might mean for the Lakers. For me personally, I'm just happy that the Lakers will have a point guard on the roster. Like that, for sure. That, that, that'll be nice. So we'll get to that here in a second. So I put this. I said this last night, and and, and I'll I'll see what you think about the theory. The reason to me that the the point guardless lineups have looked so bad this year, compared to like last year when Ingram looked okay at running the point, is the guys that are surrounding Ingram in those situations. Like Brooke Lopez was a huge help for Brandon Ingram in those pick and pop sets. Julius Randle could also go out there and and carry the burden of creativity for others and for for some short stretches. But you look at the guys that are that are surrounding Ingram on on these lineups, Kuzma can't do that kind of thing, KCP can't do that kind of thing, Josh Hart can't really do that kind of thing, and then you have your center, right? And and that center is not the kind of center that Brook Lopez was that opened up the floor for everybody, and so it's just it just it it hasn't worked this year, and I don't think it's going to work this year. So it makes it all the more important that Rajon Rondo comes back and you have a point guard who can actually carry that burden. Yeah, and Rondo is a very different point guard stylistically than Lonzo in the respect of him being a floor general type mm-hmm. of guy, right? Like Lonzo's a very unique player, this free flowing, you know, pushing the pace and all that. But Rondo is going to get you're organized into your sets set the table and you know in a more organized type of way than than Lonzo does yeah. I would I'm really interested to see how Brandon and Kuzma both are able to score off of Rondo I think it's a little different than scoring off of LeBron right because Rondo's going you know way more often than not going to be looking to set them up yeah. to put them in position to score where LeBron's obviously that dual threat as a scorer and a passer um so I'm really curious to see. I mean, hopefully there aren't too many more games before LeBron comes back. But I do think that Rondo coming back pushes both Brandon and Kuz into a more natural role. And as far as Brandon goes, like my frustrations are way less with him than they've been with his role. And in this period of time, it's not even frustrated with his role because like who else is going yeah, there's to no other option. like you know like i'm, I'm not gonna get mad at luke for having brandon run point guard and i think he's done like brandon hasn't done anything where like i had different expectations of him in the role than what he's been able to do he's been passing better he's been rebounding a lot better recently which makes me happy that he's using his length more often um but yeah like brandon's doing the best he can and in, in a, a somewhat mismatched role, but having Rondo come back, I think that will allow him to shine a little bit more. And the game plan last night, like everybody, I kept saying on Twitter that 
the Warriors were playing with their food and this and that and the other. And, and I would agree on offense, but defensively, they were kind of sort of getting after, especially with with Brandon. Yeah, S- especially a lot of with pressure England. on the ball. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I just thought and and look. Credit to them. They knew that the only way that the Lakers are going to have any chance in, in beating them was if they muck up the game and it's close late. And I just think the way that they were blitzing Ingram throughout the game, forcing turnovers, not allowing the Lakers to get into any of their any type of rhythm set whatsoever. Like it was just it was obvious that that was the top key point to their to their game plan and and they made it work and and that like that was probably the worst matchup Ingram could have had to be a point guard against the hardest job on offense is to be the guy in the middle of the floor with the ball mm-hmm. because you have 10 eyeballs on you from mm-hmm. the defense and the defense isn't broken down. They're set. They're all in the position they're supposed to be in. It is the hardest way to score. That's why like we use a lot of analytics and, you know, true shooting percentage, things like that. I, if I'm looking at a shot creator, my expectations of their shot efficiency are going to be lower because by definition, they're not shooting catch and shoot no, wide yeah. open threes, right? They're the ones creating them for mm-hmm. other people. So I, I don't, you know, league averages, I think 55.7% from true shooting. That's not my expectation from a, a shot creator, a guy with the ball in his hands at the top of the key. So I'm hoping that, and He's been looking a little better with his threes lately when he's taking them. He had a nice step back in the game yesterday. I would love for there to just to be an emphasis on him taking more of those rather than the 18-footer. I'd, yeah. He's making those you know, from 16 feet to the three-point line before last night's game. He was at 41%. You, multiply, you rarely get fouled on those. He does sometimes because of his release, but that's, what, 0.82 points per shot? Yeah. That's way below average, you know, like I would rather see him shoot 30% from three point range than shoot 41% from, you know, 16 feet out to the three point line. Just step back and that allows spacing for everybody else, too. And and the other thing, too, is you're never going to be comfortable taking those shots if you never take said shots. Right. You know, he had that quote earlier this year where he said the mid range has treated me pretty well this year. So, you know, it's I'm trying to find a balance between that and the three point line. And I'm like, has it? Right. That's the thing is. And and to me, that's an organizational issue is who is encouraging this. And obviously it's the coaching staff, right? It's and and through the you think magic's magic Johnson's going to be like mid range shots are bad. No, and and, and not all mid range shots are bad. If you get him to the three to 10 foot area where he does that move where he drives from the wing Mm -hmm. and then shoots that little fade away in the paint from like eight to 10 feet out, you'd been money on that. You'd been over 50% on those type Mm -hmm. of shots, but the ones where he's dribbling, pulling up, going toward the rim, you're shooting. And you know, from 10 to 16 feet, he's in the high thirties. I think he's at 37% or so. Um, and just multiply that by two. Tell me if that's more than shooting 30% from three, right. you know, and with all of the other benefits of spacing and all that, like this isn't rocket science, man. The rest of the leagues figured this out. And <laughs> the fact that they aren't emphasizing that with Brandon and he has that mentality of like, oh, well, shooting 41% from mid range is good. Like not compared to the other shots you could be getting. No, it's not. Yeah. Well, when your analytics department is that guy from office space with the red stapler, it kind of makes sense that they'd be a little behind. It. <laughs> uh, is there anything else that, that Rondo brings? The, the the other thing I wanted to run by you here, and we have a minute or so before we have to take another second. Uh, the thing I wanted to run by you was now look, a lot of it took place in garbage time. So that's the big disclaimer here, but you, you and I have talked at length 
throughout this entire season about the value of just having a point guard on the court, the way that they think about the game. Mm-hmm. And, like, my thing is, like, at what point are we going to move off of this reticence to play Alex Caruso? Like, even for short stretches. Like, these point guardless lineups are killing me. Yeah, I would. Caruso's probably not an NBA player, ultimately. But I think that kind of going back to Kuzma and to Ingram is that having a guy like Crusoe out there at least puts them in a better position for them. Mm-hmm. So even if he's not like, so say him versus Lance Stevenson, right? Lance is a better NBA player than Alex Crusoe is, but I would argue that having Caruso out there allows you to get more out of there rather than the just getting it from you know that that individual that more individually talented guy yeah i i i completely agree um it's i've been kind of frustrated with how they've used their two-way players this year you know yeah they got they got stuff out of jonathan williams early in the season and, and he had a couple nice games there he was a pretty cool story and then alex caruso is his obviously we just talked about him i just think like, I don't know what the goal was intended for those guy, kinds of guys. And and just generally speaking, you're not going to get much from a two-way contract. Like, I'm not – I don't have outrageous out, uh, expectations here. But I just think if you – if they aren't upside guys, like if they aren't if they aren't upside project kinds of guys, and they also – and you also don't feel comfortable, they could step in in drastic and dire injury scenarios. Then what, what are they – what purpose does that – do those contracts serve? Yeah, no, it's it's something that, you know, Caruso is 24 years old, so he's not right like yeah, Bonga. Like I understand Bonga what they're doing with Bonga. I have concerns about him, but like I understand what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. A guy like a, a guy at 24 years old needs to be able to step into a role at some level like and yeah. be a quadruple a type of guy right where mm-hmm. he's not quite an nba player but not a g league type guy so yeah i, I think they've under underutilized caruso this year but i think that luke the the ingram at point guard thing is very luke driven and ingram mm-hmm. has had individual success there i would argue that the rest of the offense suffers as a result of him not being able to make some of the reads that a point guard could make which is not his fault he is a yeah, wing he's right? not a like, point guard <laughs> he's not a point guard and that's okay that's not why he was drafted he's yeah. a wing with you know good ball handling ability and um again i would love to see a guy be able to step into that role whether it's caruso or not and be able to give bench minutes to help facilitate you know get the best out of everybody else yeah all right we're going to take another quick second here and when we come back we are just going to give a quick primer we're just at about the two weeks heading into the trade deadline period i think it was yesterday uh that we were two we were exactly two weeks away so we're going to talk about what the lakers might be doing it's complicated is is how i'll tease this talking about what the lakers are, are going to try to do at the trade deadline with all of the parameters that they have set on themselves in this in this situation, it's tough. So we're going to get to that here in a second. So just as a general foundation of what the Lakers are trying to do, you have they, they aren't adding any money for next year. So any player who has any money on their books for next season, they're not a, they're not an option. Uh, they 
are not going to be utilizing probably first-round picks because those are going to be used in a potential Anthony Davis trade. They need all of those at their disposal as best as they possibly can. Uh, and then, and then, lastly, they they're pretty specific needs that the Lakers have that that they probably need to address. Like one of the things that you mentioned earlier were guys who can get their own shot, right? Um, and so you need somebody who can get his own shot, is not on the books for next season, and would not cost a first rounder. Good luck, like, right? You're <laughs> <laughs> a window right there. <laughs> like it's it's maybe one guy, right? It's it's maybe you know like, maybe Terrence Ross. Like if the or if the Magic like don't if they and even if, Ross is more of a guy that comes off of screens. He's yeah. not a guy you put the ball in his hands to you know right. create a shot. So Joe Johnson. Um, Carmelo Anthony. Like. <laughs> <laughs> there we are. Things have come full circle, right? I brought up I brought up Trey Burke earlier. Like yeah. basically, so what you have to trade are any of the expiring guys. So you got KCP, Lance, uh, Beasley, JaVale, right? Um, all guys like that, plus probably second round picks. Mm-hmm. You know, they the yeah. Lakers don't have this year's second round pick because they traded it to get that pick for Bonga. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, what does Lance in a future second get you? Probably not a whole heck of a lot. But, you know, is it, it, I don't know if the Lakers still have cash to send as well. That matters more than I think we realize. And, you know, heck, that's the motivation for Chicago trading for him, right? Yes. Like, oh, you're going to get, you know, give us a little money for us to trade for and then wave Carmelo Anthony. Great. A lot of owners yeah. care about that, right? Mm-hmm. And so you want to look for opportunities around the league where you can leverage that. I think the Lakers need to make a push for the playoffs, and we'll talk about that in a moment, obviously. But, um, you know, I, I, but they don't have a, a ton to work with. Even KCP, who's the guy who could bring that back the most salary, um, I, I would argue he's valuable because he's the one yeah. guy who can run off of screens. Yeah, he other than fee, right? You know, so um, I'm not really interested in moving him if if they don't have to. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where where things stand. I don't I don't expect it to be that active at the trade deadline for the Lakers, even though they've made deals the last two of them, mm-hmm. and maybe they do make a small one. They just don't have a lot to work with. I don't think it's going to be a very active trade deadline in general. Um, Sam oh, Amick, around the league? Yeah. Sam Amick and I had a conversation about this for Locked on NBA two weeks ago, two Fridays ago. And, and basically what it comes down to is you look around the league, there are, I'd say, three teams in the Western Conference who feel as if they have no chance at, the, at, the, at making the postseason, right? The right. Phoenix Suns, the Memphis Grizzlies, and to a lesser extent, maybe the Dallas Mavericks. You look up at the Eastern Conference, and while the Eastern Conference generally sucks, there's again only like four, uh, yeah, four teams that that feel the same way about the postseason here as well: the Cleveland Cavaliers, the New York Knicks, Chicago Bulls, and the Atlanta Hawks. So if you have only seven teams around the NBA that are going to be sellers, and you have 23 teams that are also that are all going to be looking to be buyers, like. That's just a that's just a market inequality. Like the the, the market is not gonna it's not gonna suffice for the, the the buyer's market. And I think just in general, you're gonna see teams are gonna have to overpay uh, on some of the guys that that do get moved. And if you have teams that are looking to overpay, and you have the Lakers that don't have a lot of assets to pay in general, 
and then you combine that with the parameters that they're going to be looking to, to try to make a, a trade here. Like, it's just, it's not adding up for the Lakers to be able to make a trade. Yeah, like, these are conditions where it's much better to be the seller, right? Like, if they yeah. were looking to trade KCP to one of the upper echelon, like, there's been reported interest by the Houston Rockets, right? Mm-hmm. You could probably get a decent deal for KCP because you've got probably 23 teams buying or close, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, it's, it, there's that imbalance that you talked about. But then do you trade KCP for nothing and then, you know, hurt what's going to be a difficult playoff push in the first place? Probably not. And, and yeah. look LeBron James in the eye, you know, like, yeah. it's probably not going to fly. Right? A LeBron James team is going to be a seller at the deadline. At the deadline. Good Ooh. luck with that. Even the Dodgers would 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 not risk that kind of thing. <laughs> um, I want to I want to talk though just really briefly here about the playoffs. And so as it stands right now, the Lakers are in the ninth seed. They are a game out of the eighth seed behind the Utah Jazz. Uh, I think if if say LeBron comes back, not Thursday obviously, but the game after Thursday. You know, Saturday or or maybe even like if he wants to take the weekend off and he comes back after the weekend, then I think the Lakers might be okay, right? I think I think at that point they can go on a decent enough run that they can get back into at least contention for the seven six through seven seeds. I think. Yeah. Uh, but if he misses time beyond that, or if the Lakers drop the next two games, which are fairly winnable games the minnesota timberwolves and then the phoenix suns like if they drop both of those games then things start to really get dicey i think yeah no i'm i'm there with you i think that i think lebron's back within a week or so this is not any sourced information or anything like that Mm -hmm. just based on how the lakers generally bring guys back um and then there's a need here you know um now rich paul has come out and said that they don't give a crap, you know, like they're going to wait until LeBron is fully healthy. Um, but he's relatively close. And what I wanted out of this stretch, because you saw when LeBron went down and we all saw him mouth, you know, like I heard pop. something pop, right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when they said day to day, it's like, yeah, right. You know, like yeah. this dude's out a month, uh, mm-hmm. most likely. And that's, that's been the case, right. It's almost been a month now for him being out. The fact that the Lakers are a game behind the, the to me like it's not Utah that I've got circled it's the Clippers yeah. I think Utah's a playoff team I think the Clippers can be got and the fact that they're one game out they need to stay attached they need to be between two two and a half three somewhere in there when LeBron comes back and I think they'll be all right they've got a tough schedule ahead but then it eases up a little bit um, after the next calendar month or something um, so I, I think they're going to be okay uh, with getting both Rondo and LeBron back obviously losing Lonzo hurts especially on the, uh, the defensive end but I think that LeBron has those extra gears to access this is what I wanted I wanted them to be within shouting distance and yeah. they're definitely that they can get the Clippers yeah, I, the Clippers, I, I think, you know, they were a cool story, and Doc Rivers deserves a ton of credit. I think this is the best job he's done since maybe his Boston days. Like, since sure. this is his, easily his best year coaching the Clippers, I think. Um, and yet, they're held together with some strings, some duct tape, right. you know. Right. Hope they started out, I think, 15 and five, maybe a little bit better than that. And they've been yeah. pretty bad since then. And and that's I mean, that's their talent level in a loaded Western Conference. And, you know, I look below. Can the Pelicans string something together? They're two and a half games behind the Lakers right now. The Kings have been a surprise throughout the year, but they've been playing qu- not quite as well um, recently. And I, I'm 
not as worried about the Timberwolves. I, I don't know. I feel like it's a nine horse race and the Clippers are the team that I'm most worried about in terms of like, I, I think that they are the team that could get into the playoffs. Um, that could push the Lakers out. But mm-hmm. so to me, they're, they're the ones that I want to stay attached to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And the other thing too, that I, I can't quite figure out if it helps or hurts the Lakers right now is that the NBA moved up the trade deadline and, and in doing so that forces teams to make some decisions about their season a lot earlier than, than they normally would. Right. And so if you have like a truly desperate team, so you mentioned the new Orleans Pelicans, right? They are of all of the teams in the Western Conference, I would probably say they're the most desperate uh, to, to get into the playoffs and make some noise when they get there. So they're the team that I'm, I'm looking at the most, and I say, okay, if they if they freak out and they make, say, like a Bradley Beal trade, and they're able to hang on to, hold on to most of their rotation, they'd have to trade some rotation pieces to get Bradley Beal. But if they can hold on to the most of their rotation, then okay, then then I'm a, a little bit more nervous about what they're capable of doing. But without that type of a trade coming, I just don't I don't quite see them. I don't see the pieces that are out there, and I don't see that they have the assets. Like we talked about the Lakers having a barren cupboard. The, the Pelicans two seasons or last year traded for DeMarcus Cousins and then offloaded even more assets for, for Nikola Miritich. Like right. they don't have very much at all. So it's going to be interesting. That's why I, I brought up the, the trade deadline here is just because I, what we're looking at over the next couple weeks, those teams that we say might be kind of tough or tougher than we would normally say that they are uh, right now, like those teams could look a lot softer in a couple of weeks just because the trade deadline got moved up. Yeah, no, that's that's a great way of putting it. And I do think that when something like that happens, teams are going to err more on the side of caution and on the hopes that may, maybe something's going to work out. Like, right. and, and even with... Where there are a bunch of sellers, what does he... Uh, yield it's probably more than like expiring contracts and maybe a pick here especially in the pelican situation they don't know what anthony davis is going to do it's it's obviously tenuous do you trade a future first round pick of yours when that could be a really the high top pick, pick right yeah in, in the not too distant future right you probably don't do that um so it, even if a team like that wants to make a move it's just going to be hard to like you said, the, the cupboard is just too bare. And even a guy like Drew Holiday, for example, is a really good player, but he's on a long-term contract. The Wizards have John Wall from here till eternity making mm-hmm. a crap load of money. Are they going to want to absorb another point guardy type guy right. to, to fill that spot? Probably not. You know, like no. They're looking to have less contracts on the books, not not more. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how these things all play out. Uh, but, but as of right now, I I think there's reason to be optimistic about where the Lakers currently sit. And and that was the point of talking about this postseason thing is that, you know, barring something stupid happening over the weekend, the Lakers are sitting okay for for LeBron's return. And that was, I guess, the goal all along. Very much so. And they've come. I mean, they lost. Two buzzer beaters, essentially. The one against Sacramento, where Bogdanovich hit the step back. And then Eric Gordon hitting a double-clutch leaning three. Like, Mm -hmm. they were this close to two more wins, right? Like, it it, could have been a lot worse in this period of time. That said, these games 
against Minnesota and Phoenix are really big. They got to get at least one of them, um, and preferably, preferably two. Like, two. <laughs> like Minnesota is a team that they can beat at home, you know, um, even though they've given the Lakers some issues. So, uh, but yeah, like if LeBron misses much more time than the next two games, we start to get into dicier territory. They've got a tough road trip coming up with Philly and Boston and, you know, a few other teams that they need to be able to have him back by then to compete in those games. Yep. I, I completely agree. That'll do it for this episode of the Lockdown Lakers podcast. Uh, we will, uh, I think I'll have a guest. Yeah, I should have a guest for you guys for tomorrow. And then after Thursday's game, Pete and I will either be yelling or happy about the Lakers winning a or losing a, a, a pretty winnable game, I think. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. We'll see how Rondo's return goes. And hopefully, by the time we talk to you guys on Thursday, we'll have a little bit more clarity on LeBron's situation. I, I think we're reaching that point as well. Yeah, he's supposed to be practicing very soon. Yeah, that's the hope. Have a great rest of your day, everybody, and make somebody else's. <laughs>